Hello, and welcome to Tales from Wisteria Lane, the podcast where we give you a fair view of all things Desperate Housewives. We are the boyfriends, I'm Billy Ray. And I'm Joel. And today we're going to be reviewing Season 5, Episode 2, We're So Happy, You're So Happy. So in this episode, I will be doing the outline, and Joel is going to be doing the trivia. So, do you have anything to start us off with? I do. So, this episode was directed by David Grossman. Writers are Mark Cherry, Alexandra Cunningham, and then Jordan Nardino, who was the story editor. And the air date was October 5th, 2008. The title of this episode comes from a lyric in the song So Happy, featured in Stephen Sondheim's musical Into the Woods. Okay. So, 2008, what happened? Uh, So, this 2008 was the start of the animated TV series Star Wars, The Clone Wars, in the USA. Oh, big moment. It was a big moment. People do rave about it now. I've not seen it, so I can't say much. And the Billboard Top 100 was... Are you going to do all 100? No. Okay. (laughs) No, all 100, starting... (laughs) (laughs) So, number one was Whatever You Like by T.I. Number two was Pink, So What? Number three was Love Lockdown, Kanye West... Then four was Disturbia by Rihanna, and five was Love Story by Ms. T-Swift. Our favourites are both on there. Yeah, I know. Pink and T-Swift, right? That's pretty sick. So currently, in 2008, in the US at least, Barack Obama and John McCain are facing off against each other in the lead-up to the 2008 US presidential elections. Mm. Which, spoiler alert, if you don't know, Barack Obama won. I haven't watched that far yet. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) So this episode marks the first appearance of new series regular Joshua Logan Moore, who plays Parker. And he is known, apparently, for his stand-up comedy performances. In 2005, Moore won Austin's Funniest Kid at Cap City Comedy Club for ages 9 to 12, and was first runner-up for all age groups. And according to IMDb, he's not been in anything since Desperate Housewives. Oh, so he's a funny man. He is a funny man. Have you seen any of his comedy? No, no. Maybe we should look at it. I think we should take a look at it, see if we can find stuff online. Uh, So, as of last week's episode, we met Charlie Carver and Max Carver, who are the twins, Porter and Preston. So, Charles Carver Martinson, and incidentally, really, his twin brother Max, because they did tend to act in an awful lot of the same things. Yes, they did, um, Team Wolf. Are American actors, best known for their roles as the Scarvo twins in Desperate Housewives, Teen Wolf. Charlie Carver was Scott Frost on the first season of the HBO television series The Leftovers, and as Cowboy in both The Boys in the Band on Broadway and the 2020 film of the same name. Oh, so he's the gay one. Yes. Right. He came out as gay on Instagram in 2016, which I know isn't like a huge thing, because nowadays, who really needs to come out? You just live your authentic self. But we are in June, and it's, well, we're recording in June anyway, and it's Pride Month. So shout out to Charlie Carver for coming out in six years ago. I had to do the math very quickly then. <laughs> <laughs> I think coming out is still an important part of life, you know, spreading awareness that people aren't just straight, yeah. and that there are so many ways to live your life yeah i think that's still important most recently charlie carver stars in the netflix drama series ratchet which was released in september of 2020 and i'm guessing there's no news as to whether we're getting a season two yet or not so i've said stars i hope not Um, i hope not because that show was rubbish it he wasn't the, the best. Face. Yeah, it wasn't the best show in the world. Mm. It really wasn't. Max Carver has also acted separately from his brother, and he has guest starred on shows such as The Office, Good Luck Charlie, Victorious, and Best Friends Forever. Oh, yeah. He was in The Office. He was in The Office. Towards the end. 
So this episode also references Silver Fizz, which I'm guessing is the Desperate Housewives universe version of Facebook or MySpace. Yeah, I was really excited to talk about that. Because it was, it was early noughties. So I pressed pause on the screen when Parker went, I can check his friends list on Silver Fizz. Oh, so did I. Oh, did you? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I've got the trivia here. <laughs> okay, you do it then. <laughs> so it says, Porter Scarvo dot 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 is the true king of all media he's single age 16 occupation is student party freaking animal (laughs) fairview high school city of fairview sex is male his birthday is the 12th of june 1992 so he's only a little bit older than me Mm. political views fighting for my right to party yeah religious views on the seventh day god created beers um however it does say that his contact email is parkerscarver at silverfizz.com, mm. but that's not Parker. He's Preston. It's Porter. Oh, he's Porter. Parker's the young one that's looking. Does he not know how to make his own email? <laughs> so it does have his contact email on his Silverfizz account as parkerscarvo at silverfizz.com. Why? Now, I haven't tried to email parkerscarvo at silverfizz.com. I cannot be held accountable if any of you listeners choose to email it, and I can't. you can't blame me for whatever may happen if you do do that. Um, and he labels his interests as poetry. Oh, cool. Oh, so that is actually a public thing. He's not hiding it. Okay, no. that's good. He just seems to be hiding it from his family. Did you notice anything else on his Silver Fizz account? No. Good. That's something that I can bring up later then. Oh, okay. That's all of my trivia. Oh, excellent. To start with in this episode, we have got to do the previously, as is tradition. So, previously, Gabby's family grew over the time jump with two daughters, but Susan and Mike's family fell apart, and she's now seeing her painter, and Edie returned to the lane with a creepy guy called Dave Williams. And (laughs) that's all that was in this previously. Yeah, pretty much. Sorry, Gabby. This episode doesn't have any Catherine, by the way. No, it doesn't. Even though in the last episode, we had this little bit of a story where Catherine is starting to feel somewhat either sad or resentful. Mm. Because Brie seems to have taken all of the fame and Brie seems to have changed. Yeah, this we have a, a sorely lacking Catherine Yeah, so far in this season. We've got two episodes in and we've had maybe 30 seconds of Catherine. Now, we always point out this show does this all the time. It will give you the start of a story beat. And it won't carry on. Mm. And you, you'll forget about it until it comes up again at some point. You're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. That's happening. <laughs> and by that point, you're like eight episodes down the line and something, some other shit started going on. Yeah, pretty much. Mm. So let's start with Susan. Now, Susan's story is, I think it's quite funny <laughs> and a bit weird. I, I what think did you think? I think it's a really weird storyline. I've never been in this position Because basically, guys, with Susan's story, she's struggling because her current boyfriend and her ex-husband are kind of becoming friends and she feels weird about it. Yeah, I've never been in this situation. I had to have a think about it, but I've never been in this situation. I mean, there have been exes that I've remained friendly with. You know, there are still, you know, exes that I message, well, not I message, but I talk to, I would say, every now and again. But I would not say that I'm friends with any of my exes. Now, I think that this one got off to such a funny start because (laughs) Jackson and his poor timing and he accidentally exposes himself to Mike, which I thought was very hot. Hey, I thought that was incredibly hot. Out in the open, robe wide open. Mike needs to shut the hell up. So Susan does agree that they can hang out with each other and he can get to know Jackson and she basically wants him to completely lie about all of his interests and everything about him to impress Mike. Yeah. (laughs) Which was terrible. 
Now, we've already mentioned that Susan feels uncomfortable with them becoming friends, and <laughs> we have to talk about the catalyst of why this is and what we thought about it, which was that he comes back to Susan's, Jackson this is, and suddenly he knows a thing or two about what Susan likes, which yeah. she finds suspicious, and it yeah. turns out that Mike and Jackson have been chatting about it. Yeah, very <laughs> weird. Like, first of all, they rock up outside. We get We get a possible Susan staring out of a window moment again possibly and then Mike and Jackson like being like manly men and yelling at each other about sports in the street and they might as well just bend Mm. each other over the hood of the car and do each other it's not a very straight person thing to do though to be honest no but yeah lads 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 and then all of a sudden it's sex tips (laughs) right and Susan's so like almost like shamed of it is this a sign that Mike still likes Susan? He's like, well, I'm not with her, but I can, I can at least make sure she's happy. Yeah. <laughs> like, she's there like, oh, you just suddenly stumble upon my secret turn on. I'm like, Susan, it's biting someone's ear. That's not a secret turn on. In like, fact, there's I nothing think that's quite be... a common thing to do. Yeah, there's nothing <laughs> to be shamed. There's nothing to be shamed of about any turn on or fetish or anything like that. It's kinky for the Christians, but for us, <laughs> it's quite common. It is. It's Christian king. That's what that is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Christian with a K. Christian kink. But I want to know your thoughts. How do you feel? How would you feel if this happened with me and one of your exes? (laughs) But this would have to be around the time we got together, obviously. I mean, I'd be shocked because none of my exes know about my secret fetishes, but (laughs) (laughs) I would be livid. It's a bit weird, isn't it? Because I am not a topic of conversation for you. But also you're taking the fun out of discovering what each other's like, what each other likes. Yeah. Like I will, I will get to that point where I tell you about it when I am accepting it enough myself to be confident enough to talk about it and be comfortable enough with you to be honest. Yeah. You're taking the fun out of it for me. So yeah. Yeah. Don't do that guys. No. Now let's move on because I really want to get to this next bit. So she's obviously kicked him out and he's Mm. left her a voicemail like, I want to come over later and talk and Susan just starts shouting at the voicemail, and I thought it was hilarious. And we've got a clip. Oh, is his name Mike Delfino? Did you room together at Liars College? Um, I know it's last minute, and I'm really sorry, but I still want to see you, so how about I drop by later? Call me, that's a problem. Yeah, you'll drop by later, with potato skins on your breath, you miserable two-timer! What's on, Mom? Nothing. Just the answering machine lied to mommy. MJ is just the cutest. I We have met the cutest desperate housewife child. I love the kind of humour where you say something without realising someone's right behind you and then they turn around like, oh. <laughs> that was a clumsy Susan moment if I ever saw one. That was a clumsy Susan moment. Uh, first clumsy Susan moment bit of season five. Yeah. And then let's move on to the next Clumsy Susan moment, because we've got two in one episode. We do! Literally in the next scene. Is this like, I've literally marked it down as lonely drink. Is this the lonely drink moment? Yes. So Susan sees Mike in a bar, and she decides to come up to him, and there's just a a beer. And she thinks that he's seeing Jackson, and they're being BFFs, and she's not happy about it. And she's like, oh, is this Jackson's beer? And she starts putting all of these, like, empty nut casings and a bit of pork scratching in the drink. I mean, it like fizzes up a little bit. To, to like, point out, Mike did say, no, Susan, don't. <laughs> Mike did forewarn her, but, you know, Susan's already made her mind up as to who's sat there. But I just want to say, in this day and age, who leaves a drink alone? Well, men. That is true. He is <laughs> he is a white man in America. So, <laughs> like, he's like, my drink's fine. No one's going to spike me. I spike them. <laughs> exactly. So the guy <laughs> whose drink this is does come out and he's like, what the hell did you do to my drink? <laughs> 
<laughs> and instead of just buying the guy another drink like a regular person would do, Susan just gives a load of money to the bar woman <laughs> and she's like, take care of my friend. Right. Just buy him another drink. And yeah, that was another clumsy, another clumsy Susan moment, which I'm yeah. going to play the sting for. <laughs> Leave people's drinks alone, girl. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's embarrassing. But basically, it turns out that Susan was just worried about that Jackson would start seeing her, how Mike saw her towards the end of the relationship when it was breaking down. So she thought Mike would poison him towards her. But Mike's a gentleman and he does not see Susan in a bad light. No, and he did apologise for the whole, you know, lobe nibble thing. Before we move on to Gabby, there is also the ending bit where she's saying to Jackson about everything that happened and then Carl shows up. Carl's here for, oh, because Julie needs something <laughs> signed. And Carl, I'm so glad we've still got Carl even if we don't have Julie. Yeah. But really, he only walked in for the gag. Oh, yeah. Because she was like, don't worry, you don't have to worry about any more exes. And then Carl just walks around the corner. Yeah. And then when he's like talking about all the exes, I'm just like, is she going to tell him about Ian? That was a pretty serious ex. Yeah. Um, they were engaged. It's irrelevant to Susan. <laughs> it's out of mind, good, out of sight, you know. God. <laughs> And then we move on to one that I don't think is quite as relatable, which is Gabby. <laughs> oh, this one's hilarious, though. I mean, to start with, Gabby's kitchen is a pigsty. Oh, I you can see they had to let their kitchen staff go. Oh, that was my first note. I was like, this kitchen is, oh, what a mess. That kitchen is a wreck, girl. It makes me sad. Now, how do I break down Gabby's story? Carlos is now doing massaging as a job, and he's doing it at home. And basically, Gabby tells him that he should do it for the country club because rich people tip more. Yeah, it's more money. Because of this, they get uninvited to a country club party because some of the snotty women say that they don't want to mingle with the staff. Yeah, but before she gets uninvited, she gets invited. And it's really sad to see that she's so excited to be invited to a party now. Yeah, this was really sad. It was even sadder that Bree's the one that had to uninvite her. Like, oh, all the women don't want you to come. You get sip of us. I was like, Bree, stick up for your friend it was yeah it was just before this five-year time gap gabby was the one doing the inviting now all of a sudden she feels like she's fortunate enough to get invited to a party and oh my god what am i gonna wear and it's just so sad to see the downfall of gabby gabby was the it girl she was and now she's like, just it it used to be for gabby it used to be like ah oh, sigh another party invitation i guess i could try and squeeze it in yeah and now it's like oh my god Apart, people know I exist. <laughs> That's pretty much Gabby's story here. She's gone from being the 90s supermodel it girl. She is the party. And now she has to get used to being a regular person. Yeah. A mum. So, yeah, it's... Because they get disinvited because Carlos works there. Yeah. And that's so disrespectful. Don't want to mingle with the staff. Yeah. Well, he's, no... he's good enough to Rub massage you. you back. Yeah. Oh, Carlos needs to stop saying that in this episode. What? He says it a lot. I rub them. Well, he does. <laughs> it's mas massaging. It's rubbing, isn't it? No, so... I know. But he certainly enjoyed saying it this episode, didn't he? Yeah, I rub he did. them. I rub them. He did. <laughs> but if these members feel awkward socializing with people that work there, then that says more about them mm. than it does about anything else. Yeah, which Carlos does bring up at the end. Yeah, he does bring up at the end. It's interesting to see Gabby having to see another side of the social issue now. She was the social issue <laughs> before all of this. She was the social issue. She owned it. It doesn't help that the wardrobe department have chosen to purposely give her the cheapest and ugliest clothes they had in the wardrobe. Yeah. There's obviously um, the best scene for Gabby in this whole episode, I think, where they're at the party. 
they've decided to sit at a table because the people who are going to be at the table apparently aren't coming because the wife has a has the flu or a stomach issue or something. Yeah. Bree takes Gabby into the kitchen and tells them that they have to leave because they're at someone else's table and they've taken their seats. Gabby explains the whole thing, but he shows up with his mum. <laughs> yeah, and to, to, they sneak into the party in the service entrance. Yeah. Which Bree sees, and so Gabby just convinces Carlos to stand there because people are taking his photo. Yeah, a bit of um, Carlos's blind humour. This blind thing is working for Gabby in every way, shape, or form. Yeah. She's like, the press are taking your photo, just stand still, honey. And then she runs off. All of this at Carlos's expense, which I think is a great payoff for everything we've popped up with for him. So Gabby's telling that they have to go, and they keep opening the kitchen door, and every time they do, someone new arrives at the table. At first, it's the people's whose seat they took, and eventually, it's security, and it's a nice visual gag. It is a really nice visual gag, but that security, what are you doing manhandling a blind man? It was great, though, because Brie is saying all these stories they can use to get out. You know, she's like, just say you're at the wrong table, and then sneak out, and then they open the door, and someone else has arrived, and they're like, Okay, just run. Yeah. And Gab- Gabby was doing so well until that point. She was doing her thing. She was making herself seem relevant and getting all the invites. And then they got too greedy. That's Gabby's problem all the time. She always gets a bit too greedy. Yeah, it's the the classic gambling. Yeah. You know, eventually, Carlos convinces Gabby that she doesn't need to worry about socialising with the moronic rich people because they have a wonderful family. Yeah. Beautiful story. But how many times are we going to get a scene like this with her? Well, this is season five, so it doesn't seem to be stopping yet. <laughs> because like, we get so many moments for Gabby where she gets told this message and she slowly has this realisation and at the end of the episode, the end of her story within the episode, she gets that moment where it's very like, oh yeah, I don't need all of that. And then by the next yeah. episode, she's straight back to normal and it's so repetitive now. Same as when she went to New York to be a model again. Yeah. And then she was like, no, I don't need to be a model. Yeah. So yeah. it's got to a point now where we're five, seri- like five seasons in and the message now needs to start sinking in for Gabby before it's too late. Otherwise, people are just going to start writing off Gabby's character. Yes. So Lynette seems to be freaking out because one of the twins' friends got busted for selling drugs. And this is also the episode where we find out that Parker has something called a Silver Fizz account. Yeah, Parker is like, I can check his friends list on Silver Fizz. And Bree's like, you can check his what and the what? Yeah. Like, Don't worry, Lynette, we're all there with you. What the fuck is Silver Fizz? <laughs> yeah. So we covered this in our trivia. It's hilarious. Silver Fizz and the mm. layout. All of the fonts, the friends list. I was like, oh God, this is a tech throwback and a half. It's very MySpace. Very MySpace, Bebo, like those kinds of things. Now I've written my notes all about Porter's account. I also noticed on his friends list, he has a couple of friends. One is called Joel K and one of them is called Billy R. I was like, Billy Ray and Joel? What the hell? No, I never noticed that. Is that Billy Ray and Joel? That's fierce. The idiot even has under personal info that he digs ditching class and Jaeger shots in his dad's restaurant. Oh, I must have missed that bit. Why would you put that online? I just wanted to take this moment to talk about parents and the understanding of friendship. You've been through it, parents. You know what friendship's all about. So why does it constantly happen when parents are like, oh, so you're friends of this person. And then that kid's like, yeah, maybe years ago, like not friends now. you, You went to the same library five years ago. What are you talking about? You're not friends. No. <laughs> yeah, he's like, what friend? Who? <laughs> <laughs> Who are you on about? And Little League? Oh, what the hell? So this story, Lynette ends up catfishing her own son to find out a little bit more information because she's worried about her son. That's relatable. Catfishing your own son, not so relatable. But that's what happens. <laughs> yeah, like, this, I swear this show taught me what catfishing was. It was a pioneer. 
Tom's the sensible one today. He is. What the hell is this? Like, I never thought I would say this, but listen to Tom. Tom is better when the kids are older, it seems. Yeah. Except in the first episode. I do think this is possibly <laughs> the worst thing Lynette has ever done. It's so terrible. Lynette, there's still time to stop, but you know she doesn't. Because all the errors and mistakes that you make when your kids are young, you can almost get by because they're young. Hopefully they'll grow up and forget about it. You're about to potentially scar your 16-year-old child, and that is not something that will ever leave their psyche. They are old enough now to remember this. Yeah, because she talks to him on MSN chat, or Silverfizz Silver chat, if you will. Silverfizz chat. She she pops open that Silverfizz. She's pretending to be this cute girl, and she even gives him tips on how to talk to girls, and she's like, read them poetry. Yeah, right, and since when has Lynette ever showed any interest in poetry? Yet here she is bashing Walt Whitman. Right? And then he reads her poetry and it's like, oh, shit. This yeah, isn't what I wanted. It's just, it's really awkward. Lynette's just there trying to find out if he really is friends with this drug dealer dude. Because she's, like, not sure. And so she's she's just trying to figure it out. But Porter's here trying to pop open his mum's silver fizz. I know, this was so awkward. Uh, really uncomfortable. So t- when Tom finds out what's happening, he does, he makes reference to Oedipus Rex, which I enjoyed because it's one of my favourite Greek tragedies. He did, he did make a reference to it. When he says about Porter killing him and blinding himself, and I was like, oh, Oedipus Rex, love that. Yeah. But for those of you that don't know about Oedipus Rex, look it up, watch the play, read it, whatever. It's, look it up, big boy. It's really good. It's really dark. It is very dark, but most Greek tragedies are. So Lynette lets him down gently. <laughs> Which is a very nice thing for a mum to have to do to their son. Mm. <laughs> but she accidentally finishes off her little message with, Love, mom." And I'm calling shade on that. It seems now that, now that Kayla's gone, Tom's trying to destroy Lynette all himself. <gasps> Tom read Tom read that poem and said it was good and didn't say, get rid of the love, mom." You would think that would be the first thing you do, except for the love, mom. Oh, I like that theory. That's great. Shade boots the house down for not telling Lynette about the love, mom thing. It's a bit awkward. And obviously, Twin One doesn't take this very well. (laughs) What is this, Cat in the Hat? (laughs) Thing One and Thing Two. So she has to apologise for the humiliation. She makes it out to be that they don't really talk anymore. There's that point in a mother and father's life where the kids just don't talk to them as much anymore. That changes again, though, as they get older. They have that middle period. Most, Most kids, it's called the teen years, have that period where your children just sort of take for granted what you do, what you have done, who you are, and don't fully comprehend the likelihood of you not being around anymore and what life is like without a parent. Do you know what my favourite thing is in relation to that? What? I absolutely love when you find out from a parent's friend, so, like, auntie so-and-so who's not your real auntie they're Mm. your mom's best friend kind of thing or uncle so-and-so your dad's friend or even your actual aunties and uncles when you're a bit older and they're like oh you're my nephew but let's let me tell you something naughty that your mum or dad did yeah i absolutely love that because you don't get that as a kid as a kid you're like you're too busy playing at the family functions you don't really get to sit around and see all of the like the drama and conflama of everything that goes on but when you're an adult and you're sitting down drinking with the family that's when you hear the real shit and that's when you're like oh damn i missed that growing up i didn't know that yeah so, Brie, in this episode, starts with the mock-up for her book. It's ready. The book cover is here. This is the mock-up. Yay. Good choice of the font, ma'am. Thank you. <laughs> I liked that. It sounds kind of sad, but I did think that too when I saw it. I was like, that's a pretty good font. Mm. I love how people only really know three fonts as well. Comic Sans, Times New Roman, and Calibri. Oh, no, okay. Oh, Ariel. Joker. Oh, Joker. Do you remember Joker? That was everyone's yeah. favourite in primary school. Yeah. Wingdings. Never heard of Wingdings. Wingdings didn't no, actually have... Man, right. this is a Wingdings. <laughs> 
Um, it didn't have the writing. Wingdings was just like symbols. Oh, I hate that When one. you typed, it was just random symbols. So weird. <laughs> I think it was called Wingdings anyway. So Austin isn't very happy with this though because he's seen that it says Brie Vandykamp and not Brie Hodge, mm. which it, it is mentioned that he knew about it already, but it's not until he saw it that it really clicked. And so for the whole the whole episode, I was like, well, you knew about it, so shut up. Right, Orson's really starting to irritate me. But Orson goes beyond irritation and into like, white hot rage oh, yeah. by the end of this episode, but we'll get to it. So we've got a clip for this moment. We do. But this book will be national. I mean, it's your chance to rebrand yourself. Is there something wrong with Hodge? I think I just heard the milk go bad. I should check. Orson. I adore you, but your name, our name, it has no music. Vandekamp trips off the tongue. Hodge sounds like the noise a plunger makes. That's preposterous. Listen, Vandekamp, Hodge. I just want to say, I'm pretty sure Brie meant it rolls off the tongue. Saying it trips off the tongue sounds stupid. Yeah, it, sound, it, it almost implies that you can't get it out. Yeah, because you're, clumsy like, Brie tongue. You, yeah, like you, <laughs> like you can't just... Like, you just can't say it. Like, you keep tripping over your words. Exactly. So, also, yeah. when he said, what's wrong with the name Hodge, and there was a silence, that was your moment to be like, don't worry about it. Because you know that Bree's going to F you up if she has to yeah. answer that properly, because she can be a bit savage. Also, for our listeners that are really interested to know, you can actually hear when milk goes bad. What? Really? Does yeah, it sound like, like if, you're, if you're really, really quiet, then <laughs> the moment it goes bad, you can hear just like a really tiny wail. What are you talking about? Like when the milk goes bad, like if you if you really if you listen really carefully, you can just hear it go like. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> You're so weird. Um, the book title, though, let's move on. I do prefer Mrs. Vanderkamp. She has a point, but it does depend on what the the book is selling yes. and how she presents herself. So if she's trying to be like relatable southern lady, then Hodge I don't think is a bad name for it because mm. you know it's like it's the everyday person. Oh, okay, yeah. But if she wants something that's a bit more conservative, yeah, like upscale, bougie, fine dining, then definitely Vanderkamp. So Orson basically spends this whole episode getting more and more annoyed, but I thought it was hilarious. I don't blame um, him because I, I would also get more and more annoyed the more times I'm offered a pot roast but never given it. Yeah, there is that. Um, there is also the fact that she slagged off his name. And then yeah. she has an interview on a radio show. She has a little segment. And they ask about her deceased husband. Well, she asks specifically, is there a Mr. Vanderkamp? And she's like, oh, no, he's deceased. Oh, no, he's dead. Oh, he's dead. And she doesn't mention Orson throughout this whole radio segment. And I just thought, that's so shady. It didn't sit well with Orson, definitely. No. He, like, snapped his chopsticks. When I was watching, I was like, I would be a bit annoyed about that too, actually. Yeah. Like, yeah, Mr. Vanderkamp's dead, but I've got my new wonderful husband, Hodge. But then it doesn't fall in line with her brand of conservative old-fashionedness. I mean, she does say later, I'm doing an interview about the book. Why would I waste valuable time talking about my marriage? <laughs> yeah. I will say, what Bree said sort of didn't sit well with me about the book. Because she was like, well, I think that people miss when women had more time to cook. And I was like, so what does this book do, Brie? Does it create more time? Does your book invent time? 
she's basically spreading her political values. Yeah. And I'm just like, but this book doesn't give women more time. You're mm. giving women recipes. But if you are trying to go back to a time when women have more time to cook, then this book is not doing that. She wants to invoke a memory, a feeling, a vibe. This book. Of when women were in the kitchen cooking for their husbands. And I was like, I get that it's nice to think about, to have nostalgia, but do you not realise how weird this sounds? Yeah. I mean, I don't know what the book is giving, but time it is not. Yeah. Maybe rosemary, but no time. Maybe come up with a better vibe to send people back to. Maybe like the smell of mama's homemade cooking or something. Exactly. But not like the smell of sexism. <laughs> you know? Yeah, the smell of misogyny. The smell of the patriarchy. I know some women just miss the days when their husbands would walk through the door and say, make me a sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> Fresh, freshly baked sexism, if you will. <laughs> So this doesn't sit with Orson. They do have an argument about it. And it basically turns out that she's kind of ashamed of him because he went to prison. Yeah, I'm not sure how (laughs) I'd feel if I was in Orson's shoes, to be honest. But at the same time, Bree's clearly distracted in this moment. So it's probably not a good time to have this conversation. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll tell you what I would do. I'd get a divorce. Really? Yeah, like you're ashamed of me because I went to prison. You won't even mention me. I'm not even part of your life publicly. You know what? Divorce, babe. Divorce, babes. Divorce. But she's a public figure now. Yeah, and I'm going (laughs) to divorce the public figure. So later on, she comes home super late. She's just been catering for the party. And (laughs) this scene is so weird. Orson demands this pot roast that she's been promising him. Well, she promised him it, and then it got pushed back. And then she promised him it, and then it got pushed back. And so then now she's promised him it again, and he's not having it, mama. Yeah. He's like, you promised. You promised. So I w- if I was awesome, I'd be like, you make that pot roast or I will put you in that pot. <laughs> and roast you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I will roast you, bitch. Don't try it. Don't come for me, okay? Yeah, so she's a bit confused because she's like, well, I've just come home from the party. And he's like, no, I, you, you promised. And he makes her make this pot roast at God knows what hour. Yeah, the roast of Bree Hodge. And she's just standing there chopping vegetables and crying. It's so sad. It's a horrible scene to watch. And it makes me so angry. I mean, I know obviously Bree's not innocent in this whole situation. But no one should be forced to make a pot roast. N- not when they've been working all night. It just feels so, it feels so sudden. Like, I know Orson has a dark side. We've seen it. You know, he's easily manipulated by Armour and his mum and... You know, he manages to knock people over and deal with it for at least a decent amount of time. But to see this sudden dark side against Brie, which we've never seen before until now, is quite shocking. (laughs) Yes, it was. I I think this might be the start of his new downward spiral. Yeah. Oh, dear. Mm. Now, before we finish the episode, we do have to talk about Mr. Dave Williams, our neighbour of the season and residential creep. Yep. Yeah, so Dave's whole story in this episode involves Edie and Miss Karen McCluskey, <laughs> and Edie's upset because Karen made fun of her. She made fun of her boobs. Yeah, that was it. Something but I like don't that. remember exactly what she said. She said my... Oh, a triumph of German engineering. Yeah, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> right? Like, Edie's reaction here is the joke. Like, Edie can't even take a comment like that from her best friend on the lane. I would have no friends if I got pissed at every comment made about my dad being from Pakistan or how much of a slut I was when I was younger. Yeah. It's called reading, ED. So following the conversation, Dave goes over to Karen and he suggests 
lightly that she apologizes to Edie and Karen fuses saying nah I'm not going to apologize actually because that's the kind of friendship we have I say that her boobs are fake she says my face looks like a knee it's hilarious Mm. and what do you know her cat goes missing her cat does go missing he was so creepy with her he was like you know for someone that's so old and alone you'd think that (laughs) read her for filth he helps her look for the cat later on when she's looking for the cat but he's like well since i'm helping you look maybe you could apologize to Edie later right we know dave is sinister and odd because of the music they play yeah with karen but it's not fair for dave to just basically say you should apologise because I'm helping you. I didn't ask for your help. So Karen, later on, does apologise to Edie. She says sorry. Edie looks a bit confused by this. It's really sad as well. She looks a bit concerned, especially when Karen says, okay, I've apologised. Can you tell Dave that I apologise? That's what's really sad. The fact that Karen has to make a point of getting Edie to tell Dave because she knows he had something to do with all of this. Karen is the first one on the lane to think, you're a dirty bitch. <laughs> yeah, he's coming for an old lady, and a lonely old lady taking a cat and scaring an old lady. That's not cool. No, it's not cool. Not cool at all. So yeah, it was really sad. And then when she walks away, Edie does look concerned and a bit confused. Like, mm. wait, what? And the episode ends with Karen bringing Catherine some flowers so that she can use her computer to find out some stuff about Dave. I'm surprised she doesn't go to Lynette. Yeah, well, how can you concentrate with those kids around? That's true, and she probably is scared about what she'll find on the history. Yeah. With the kids around. And that is the end of the episode, basically. Yeah. So, let's move on to our next segment, where Joel's going to give us the gayest and the straightest moment. So, Joel, what do you have for gayest moment? My award for gayest moment... ...goes to Mike... For seeing Jackson with an open robe and immediately wanting to hang out with him. Yeah, I can't relate. Sure, he says it's to make sure that he's a good guy so MJ's safe, but I ain't buying it. No. He's like, your robe's open. We should hang out sometime. Yeah. (laughs) Get some drinks. Yeah. So that's my award for gayest moment. And then what do you have for straightest moment? My award for straightest moment... Goes to Mike and Jackson (laughs) for chatting shit about Susan's turn-ons. And I wouldn't be surprised if they are the two kinds of guys that, like, refer to themselves as wiener cousins because they've slept with the same woman. And so they're like, oh, we slept with the same woman. Yeah, we're wiener cousins. Yeah. Yeah. Lads, lads, lads. Yeah, I know. That was my impression of a straight guy, guys. I hope you liked it. (laughs) I thought it was great. (laughs) So anyway, uh, and now we move on to B's awards for best and worst parents. So, B, who do you have for the... Best parent of the episode. My award for... Best parent of the episode. I don't have one. Really? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There wasn't really much parenting. Sorry. (laughs) No. You could have given it to Tom. But I have worst parent, so my award for worst parent... Worst parent of the episode... It goes to Lynette for catfishing her son. I don't really have to explain that. No, you don't. Like, if, if, guys, if you're listening to this and you feel that B needs to explain that worst parent, then I think you need to um, just sit and have a think check, about yeah, your choices in check, life. Yeah, check your priorities. Yeah. Check your moral compass. And check your lipstick as well. Yeah, there's a bit on your teeth, hun. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the end of the episode. So that was season five, episode two. We're so happy. You're so happy. <laughs> <laughs> a terrible title, I'm sorry. If anyone wants to 
follow us on our socials or message us or leave us any comments, queries, questions and theories, where can they find us? You can find us on Instagram at Boyfriends Review and you can find us on Twitter at BFS Review. We also have email, which is boyfriendsreview at outlook.com. You can find Louis on Instagram at DogRedMonkDesign and he has a link to his Etsy page. And you can find us on SilverFizz at BFS Review. <laughs> you cannot find us on SilverFizz. Because <laughs> it's not a thing. It might be. I didn't Google it. Join us next week. We'll be back in your ear holes with season five, episode three. Kids ain't like everybody else. No, they're not. No, but no. We'll, we'll find out why. We'll get there. See you next week. <laughs> See you later, guys. Bye.